ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. As a live export ship which left Australia 25 days ago gets ready to dock at Fremantle, more details are emerging about why the ship was forced to turn around and come back to Australia with the animals still on board. Initially when the ship left on the 5th of January, uh, it headed up through the Red Sea, got to Yemen and basically the ship felt threatened. Uh, It was being fired at. Warning shots, I would say. So what will now happen to those sheep and cattle on board? You'll find out soon. You'll also today get an insight into what happened during a meeting between the Federal Resources Minister and the critical minerals industry, which at the moment is doing it very, very tough as prices continue to slide. This is all coming up on today's Country Hour, including, of course, the latest information on ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee. Hope you can stick around. Broadcasting right across the Territory on the ABC, streaming online, and g'day there if you have downloaded the podcast. Around 350 kilometres of the Victoria Highway remains closed because of flooding. And as we heard yesterday, it is likely to stay that way for several more days, and the damage to the highway is expected to be significant. Look, it's likely to remain closed for the next several days. Um, There is still some significant flooding at various locations along the highway, um, including the Big River Bridge, as well as um, areas west of Timber Creek. So there's still some sections that are more than two metres of water above the road. Wow. Um, So we've got various areas now that have been underwater for more than a week now. So, look, there's likely to be some significant um, damage to some of those roads and pavements, um, you know, loss of seal and, and undermining of pavements at the various culverts and crossings. Yeah, it's likely to be significant um, damage and you know, ongoing repairs over the next several months will be likely to be required. That is Shane Tepper, who is from Dipple. He was on the Country Hour yesterday. So with the Vic Highway closed between the Buntine Highway intersection and the WA border, it means the town of Timber Creek is isolated. It's a little island out there, Timber Creek. Now, some residents were evacuated from town last week, but others remain, such as Rainy Holcomb. Uh, Rainy, how's Timber Creek looking there today? Um, Yeah, so the water, I think, is going down um, a bit faster now, but you can, yeah, just smell that stenchy mud flood smell. So sort of as soon as you walk out the house, it sort of, smacks you in the face at the moment um but yes it's just um wet you know everywhere not even just from the floodwaters as such but just from the amount of rain that we've had sort of um yeah it's pretty soupy everywhere and you're in the higher part of town have you have you ventured down further down towards where you know the caravan park is and the likes um, yeah, so yeah, our house is right on the edge of the hill, so we're safe here. And um, I haven't been back to say like the aged care or the museum, which were completely sort of submerged in the floodwaters. Um, I believe they are now out of the water, and there's a sort of a fair cleanup involved with them. But um, I, I haven't been down there personally to sort of see what's 
how it all fared. Um, the caravan park and everything was okay. It didn't, it didn't go underwater. Um, so, yeah, they're still high and dry, which is um, a big improvement on, on last year. And are many people still in town? Yeah, so there is um, the evacuees from the communities that were at the school have just returned back to their community yesterday. Um, but there's they're really trying to get in now. Like the school teachers are trying to get in today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to fly them in so to get the school open and functioning. And I think, you know, they've been rotating police officers and, and nurses through. And I know like the power and water guys are flying around a lot today to try and restore power um, to the communities and such and and that. So, yeah, I mean, even though the roads the roads are still not open um, as such, like the, the water to the east has gone down over the roads, um, but it's all still being assessed and repaired. So it's still not open to traffic. So the only way in is is via helicopter. Um, to the west, the road is still underwater and uh, our airstrip is out of action because it was submerged in the flood as well. So um, it'll be a fair while before that's operating again, I think. Um, there's a fair bit of damage I've heard out that way. So... Um, yeah, we still obviously can't drive anywhere, so the only way to get people in and out at the moment is is via helicopter. And, well, the country has been told by the department that the road could be closed for several more days is the language. So, Yeah, okay, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I know, yeah, I've, I've just heard that there is, you know, obviously damage to the bitumen. There's obviously a truck I believe that got caught in the floodwaters that's, you know, stuck in the middle of the highway as well and Mm. they've got to move some vehicles around and such like that. Um, And, yeah, and uh, Potter, um, my husband, flew across yesterday towards the west to um, Kununurra and get some supplies for the town because we haven't haven't had any supply drops or anything for us here in the township itself, no food or or anything's been dropped off sort of um, to us. So... Potter uh, hitched a ride in a helicopter over to Avern and borrowed a car yesterday to um, go in a Kununurra and get a few supplies just to get get the town soaked through until the roads do open. Oh, wow. Well, well done, Potter, and well done your family because we've heard stories of the government organising supplies to communities like Yarralyn, but no supplies going to the town of Timber Creek. No, that's it. And we've sure. been sort of asking and waiting. I think the community's got some supplies. I think the police might have had some supplies dropped off. Um, but the townspeople, yeah, we just went up and down our street a couple of days ago and just said, look, we're actually going to go into Kununurra. What essentials do you need? And and it's it's mainly just like bread, milk, formula, nappies, yeah. and a little bit of fresh fruit and veg for people. Um, but, yeah, we, we were told there were supplies coming and it got cancelled because of weather in Darwin. Um, but that was sort of three, four days ago, so obviously that wasn't rescheduled. Um, but, yeah, there's been no drop-offs. We've heard that there's been drop-offs, that nobody's seen anything that has been dropped off. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the people sort of... Um, of the, of the township itself, uh, yeah, we haven't received any supplies whatsoever. So, um, yeah, Potter has taken it into his hands to be able to go in and, and just sort of try and get us all through. So what's it like around town then in terms of, you know, how everyone's going? Um, well, to be honest, I haven't really left our own little 
refuge here very much, but uh, everyone seems to be in good spirits as, you know, a lot of um, the kids are sort of walking around with their fishing rods and tackle boxes and fishing <laughs> all the little runoffs and, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think people probably, yeah, still dispersing now back home after sort of moving the higher ground and everything, which I think they're all, all glad to be doing that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're all in good spirits, but I think just just probably getting frustrated that we obviously still can't travel, you know, back or forth and in and out of uh, Catherine or Kalinara yet. And parents have to look after kids for a bit longer too, by the sounds of it. No, so school hasn't started and the creche hasn't started. Um, I know Anita down at the creche is trying desperately hard to get that open um, so that some people can return to work and drop their kids off, but um, she she has no food and the same with the school. The school's got no food to open to feed the kids. Um, The school actually has no teachers here at the moment, but as I said earlier, they're trying to fly um, one or two of them in today and then as soon as the road opens, um, get the rest in um, a- along with the food supplies for the school. So, yeah, I think they're really trying very hard to try and open the school tomorrow, but um, I think that could still be a big task. There's um, a little bit of clean-up still to go at the school after the evacuees left. As I said, they only left yesterday, so just sort of trying to rearrange it all and um, make it usable again so, we, yeah, the kids can come back into school. Well, I know you've got a couple of little people of your own to look after this afternoon, so I'll let you go and do that. But really appreciate your time, Rainy. No worries. Thank you very much, and thanks for checking in on us. Hi, how are you going? My name is John Barry, uh, originally from Ireland. Came out here about 15 years ago and ended up in the lovely Timber Creek. And it's good here. The locals are friendly, and I'm enjoying the job. And you're listening to the Country Hour. And good day to all of our friends in Timber Creek this afternoon. I can't believe it that residents are flying to Kununurra and grabbing supplies to share with their neighbours. That's amazing. And the government, no one is sending supplies to the township of Timber Creek. That, to me, seems unusual. Uh, if you're in the creek this afternoon, I hope you are well. Our text number of the country hour is 0487991057. The Vic Highway is closed. A 350-kilometre stretch of it is closed. Looks like it'll be closed for several days, which is not good news for Timber Creek. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, NT Police have just put out a reminder about the highway being closed. Uh, yes, police have uh, reminding motorists that they must avoid the area. This is the Vic Highway and not travel on those closed roads. Uh, incident controller Matt Hollenby said in a statement that traffic signs and roadblocks are in place and police will be frequently patrolling the area. Anyone travelling along cr- closed roads can expect to be penalised. Emergency services do not want to have to conduct search and rescues along the roads that are clearly closed. Uh, Police are also reminding people that there's been reports of crocodiles making their way into those flooded areas. We heard that a crocodile trap has been placed just near Timber Creek, actually on the Vic Highway. Um, So yeah, just another reminder there from NT Police to please stay clockwise if you're in those flooded areas and uh, if it's flooded, forget it. Yes, thank you, Dan. We've actually, here at the Country Hour, received a photo from one of the local rangers in town of this crocodile trap that is on the actual 
Vic Highway. And the water underneath the trap is the actual Vic Highway. Apparently, you can see it from the police station. And, yeah, this is up on our website if you're interested. Search for NT Country Hour, and there it is, this picture of a croc trap on the actual Vic Highway. That's what the highway has become. It's a place for croc traps and not a vehicle to be seen. That's up on our website if you are interested. Just as the Country Hour wrapped up yesterday, we got an email from rail operator Horizon confirming that the rail line has reopened ahead of schedule. So the first train, we're told, left Alice Springs to Darwin yesterday. Horizon said the rail was originally expected to reopen later this week. So this was an outstanding effort from the Horizon team, it says, with the support of contractors to recover more than two kilometres of damaged track to the north of Tennant Creek. It says this first service has effectively cleared all our customers' freight in the Alice and works now underway to clear any backlog of freight in our Adelaide depot that is destined for the Territory. Acting Assistant Police Commissioner Matt Hollenby, he held a press conference late yesterday and said the news about the rail is great for the Territory. I can say that the first train has made it through and is currently on its way to Darwin. Uh, the road crews are, um, have done an amazing job in getting it, uh, the train tracks fixed uh, in a timely manner and uh, so that uh, will take some pressure off of supply issues in the Darwin area. Uh, the, the track has been repaired but there are currently uh, length and load restrictions on the, the train service. But uh, the, uh, the road crews work really, really hard to, uh, to get, the, get it up and running as quickly as they could, and uh, it'll be shored up in the, in the coming weeks. So the rail line is back on track. It has been reopened, which is wonderful news, and it's been opened ahead of schedule. Again, you can read more about this on our website if you search for NT Country Hour. Our text number is 0487991057. Got a message here from Caro who says, can you remind motorists to put their lights on, especially darker vehicles, says Caro. 0487991057. I'm sure that you're across this story of a live export ship that was headed towards the Middle East, but then was ordered to turn around and come back to Australia because of safety concerns in the Red Sea. Well, after 25 days at sea, that ship is now just off the WA coast. It is set to dock at Fremantle very soon. What will happen to the animals and just how bad did it get there in the Red Sea. I'll tell you all about this after a tune that picked up a golden guitar on the weekend. It's called Dust Kids. That is Dust Kids by Sarah Stora and her brother Greg. It took out Bush Ballad of the Year at the Tamworth Country Music Awards held there on the weekend. G'day, I'm Angus Gidley-Baird. I'm the Senior Animal Proteins Analyst with Rabobank and you're listening to The Country Hour. Now, a live export ship which was on its way to the Middle East and was ordered to turn around and come back to Australia is now expected to dock at the Port of Fremantle tomorrow. The MV Bahizar is carrying about 15,000 head of sheep and 2,000 head of cattle and it's now been at sea for 25 days. 
the Federal Department of Ag's in charge of what happens to the livestock. But WA Premier Roger Cook, he says his government's ready to help and do whatever it can. We stand ready to assist the Commonwealth in relation to this issue. My understanding is they want to get a range of those um, animals off the ship to at least get the stock rates right down. But we'll need to quarantine those animals because obviously they're coming from overseas, so there are biosecurity uh, measures in place to make sure that they don't present with any diseases. My understanding is that the welfare of the animals is still fairly um, high, uh, but obviously they've been at sea now for, for quite a few days and we stand ready to help the Commonwealth resolve that issue. So it would be your preference that they are able to, to come off for a bit? Well, we don't have I a I mean, preference. would it be cruel to keep them on there? Look, my understanding is the welfare of the animals is still fairly high, uh, but um, obviously there's a lot of them on that ship in fairly tight quarters. So I think the initial impetus or focus for the Commonwealth is to destock the ship, at least to get those numbers down so that they can look after the welfare of those animals much better. What do you mean destock? Are you saying so some come off and some stay on? That's my understanding is their initial aim is to at least get some off so that they can look after the welfare of those animals. So we are working with the Commonwealth at the moment around identifying quarantine stations where those animals can go to. Obviously, there's a lot of them and uh, and it presents... um, you know, a real challenge, but we're, we're there to help out because we want to look after the welfare of those animals as well. You expect that would happen today? Look, my understanding is it's more likely they'll dock tomorrow. Uh, we're just trying to, to wait for traffic to clear at Fremantle in order for that to happen. Uh, but again, we're in the hands of the Commonwealth on this, but we stand ready to assist them. And then what would happen? The expectation is what? Then that at some point they go back on and go back to Jordan? I mean, if there were safety issues a few weeks ago those safety issues won't go away. So what's going to happen? Well, well, I think the challenge that they have in this particular situation is that they, they're taking ships, they're disembarking, you know, with, with livestock on board over long, long uh, distances, taking some time in a very unstable destination. So we don't know what the geopolitical or the other circ- or the safety s- situation at the at the foreign ports is going to be like because it can be upwards of seven days before they can get there in a very rapidly changing situation. So I think those long haul destinations presents a real challenge in the short term, particularly given the um, the situation we see emerging in the Middle East. WA Premier Roger Cook speaking to Nadia Mitsopoulos. President of the WA Farmers Livestock Section, Jeff Pearson, he says the sheep and cattle on board should not be taken off the ship and he feels that the ship should just be reloaded with fodder and supplies and sent back to the Middle East via a different route. The biosecurity risks of, of offloading these livestock coming out of foreign waters is not an option when we have the option of re-exporting these li- this livestock immediately. Well, you have to go through the, the whole logistical uh, nightmare, if you want to call it that, of having to quarantine um, these livestock from anything else. Um, and what it does is it, it basically locks up anything that can be moved from any of these properties for a very long time. Now, I don't know any any business that wants to do that. Um, when we have the other options of re-exporting, uh, we don't want to go down the line of, of having to... You know, potentially threaten this um, uh, state with a biosecurity risk of offloading foreign animals. But they're not foreign animals, are they? Because they're originated from here. But they've been in foreign waters. That's the thing. And they've, and they're on, they've been on a foreign ship that's been cut, that's carted foreign cattle. So therefore they become um, foreign livestock. 
So what are the options in terms of re-exporting them? Are those discussions underway to find another market? And, and who would who would take these ships that have been, you know, almost at their market and turn back and then head off to a new market? Well, we don't know, need to find a new market. The existing market is, is still established. Now, these cattle were destined for Israel. They were protocoled for Israel. And there's no issues sending livestock into Israel other than the way that we went the first time. So basically, we don't need to source another market. The market is there. As we speak, Israel are receiving livestock into their countries from, you know, from other sources of European livestock. So the ports are still open. Uh, livestock's still running in, into, the, into the market. It's just that we can't get them the, the traditional way that we went. So the options are is to uh, reload the, the, the ship with fodder, uh, fresh sawdust, some uh, fresh staff, uh, change the vet, and off it goes again. And which but route would it take? How, how, what would be this goes, route compared to the it, previous it'll, one? It'll go on a further voyage, which it won't go down up through the Red Sea. Uh, it'll go around the Cape of, of South Africa and up the top, which is, a, which is a, a long-haul voyage, what we call a long-haul voyage, and we've done them before uh, into Russia and places like that, which is a 33-day voyage as opposed to a 14-day voyage. Is the regulator going to approve a trip like that? The regulator can approve a trip like that, but we, we can't get an answer. So your preferred option is to re-export the sheep uh, around okay. Africa to the yep. market in Israel. Is processing the sheep here an option at all? I mean, you looked at the biosecurity concerns that you have about offloading mm-hmm. the livestock, but even if the livestock were offloaded, I mean, the processes are completely booked for months in advance. There's no... That's right. Hope That's of right. doing There's that. Fourteen thousand lambs that can be processed, but who's going to process them? Um, you, you'll, you'll be months before you can do that, which adds to the, the biosecurity risk by having the animals in the, in the system for any longer than what they should be, and the cattle would be in the same situation where they'd have to be up, brought up to spec to be able to be processed, uh, and who will process them? They're, they're an out of spec animal for Western for our, our local domestic market. Um, so that it have to be fed for some some period of time, but then we'd run the risk of having not having a market for them under the circumstances. Why did the ship turn around? What was the situation that confronted the ship? So initially, when the ship left on the fifth of January, uh, it headed up through the Red Sea, got to Yemen, and basically the uh, uh, ship felt threatened by um, uh, it was being fired at. So it decided to not take the risk of, of continuing on as other ships in, the, in that area have done the same thing and it's decided to go and redirect itself around um, the Cape of, um, of South Africa. So it was being directly fired at? That's yeah, warning shots, I would say, yep. So, um, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much um, been the case with a lot of other uh, ships in that area as well, yeah. especially if Israeli-owned. That is Jeff Pearson, who is from the WA Farmers Association, speaking there to Belinda Varischetti. You can read more about this unfolding situation via the ABC Rural website. And I see on that article, there's a few comments there from Rebecca Tapp, who is from the Stop Live Export organisation. And she believes that the only humane option is to offload these animals and process them in Australia. She says the idea of sending them back to sea for an extra 33 days is inhumane. As I said, you can read all about this right now if you search 
for ABC Rural. Hello, my name is Saloidi Botongoleoi and I am from Crocodile Island Rangers, one of the women coordinators. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Oh, there's been some big rain in the last 24 hours, including 114 recorded at Owen Pelly Airport and 144 in the gauge at the central Arnhem Plateau. If it's raining at your place this afternoon, let the rest of us know. 0487 991057 at Renner Springs Station, which is sort of halfway between Elliot and Tennant Creek. Things are looking wet there. Valmay Jones says they've had more than 550 millimetres for the month of January. And she says the last couple of weeks in particular have been wet and very, very cloudy. Uh, look, we had two weeks of overcast weather, which I don't remember having two week full weeks like that before here. Usually a week would be acceptable, but two weeks... It was, we were, um, we love our rain, but two weeks with no sun was just, I felt like I was in Tasmania, to be honest. And so, was is that rain welcome or not? Oh, yeah, it was. We were starting to um, look at the sky a bit by the end of the second week, though, and wondering where, whether the sun was ever going to shine again. <laughs> and so, what, what, what kind of landscape? has that created for, for for the station? Lots of grass or lots of islands? Oh, yeah, lots of grass. It was really, really good grass rain. There'll be no problems there. And just steady soaking rain, like, every day it rained. And with no sunlight at all in between the rain showers, it just got wetter and wetter and wetter to the stage where riding a horse around. I was actually bogging my horse. I had to stop riding my horse. And... At the end of it, it was even starting to get difficult. We've had a quad bike bogged here. Um, not mine, but we've had one bogged here. And I won't mention any names there. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, I came close myself, but, um, yeah, no, it's very wet. That is Valmay Jones from Renner Springs Station speaking to Yarn Kahoot. That property's had more than 550 millimetres for the month of January. I see a post from Tipperary Station in that Douglas Daly region. It says it's had 23 days of rainfall in a row and it's now had 984 millimetres for the month of January. That is a lot of rain, a lot of rain. And got a message here from someone who says it's pouring at Bachelor and the local signal has gone. Oh, No. Hopefully you can hear a little bit of Country Hour. Hopefully. Uh, We'll be speaking to the Weather Bureau in five minutes' time to get the latest on ex-tropical cyclone Kiraly. I'll see you in five minutes after the news bulletin. G'day, I'm Lisa Pepper and I'm in here at Darwin Port where we're currently in the process of loading a couple of thousand head onto the Greyman Express for live export. And thanks for listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon, and it's back to school in the Northern Territory. Kids heading back to school, parents breathing a sigh of relief. (laughs) It is back to school, but not in the town of Timber Creek. With floodwaters all around, there are no teachers in town, and there's barely enough 
food in town, as we heard earlier when we spoke to Timber Creek local Rainy Holcomb. So school hasn't started and the creche hasn't started. Um, I know Anita down at the creche is trying desperately hard to get that open um, so that some people can return to work and drop their kids off, but um, she, she has no food and the same with the school. The school's got no food to open to feed the kids. Um, we The school actually has no teachers here at the moment, but as I said earlier, they're trying to fly... Um, one or two of them in today and then soon as the road opens, um, get the rest in um, a- along with the food supplies for the school. So, yeah, I think they're really trying very hard to try and open the school tomorrow, but um, I think that could still be a big task. There's um, a little bit of clean-up still to go at the school after the evacuees left. As I said, they only left yesterday, so just sort of trying to rearrange it all and um, make it usable again so, yeah, the kids can come back into school. Yeah, that was Rainy Holcomb keeping us up to date earlier on in the program. If you missed that chat with her, it'll be on our podcast later on this afternoon. And a shout-out to everyone in Timber Creek listening this afternoon. In a moment, you'll be getting an insight into what happened during a meeting between the Federal Resources Minister and the critical minerals industry, an industry that's doing it very tough at the moment as prices continue to slide. And you'll also be hearing from a livestock producer in outback Queensland, a region that's been copying some seriously big rain in the last 24, 48 hours, care of ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee. Let's go to the Weather Bureau now. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Um, yeah, Kiralee, ex-Kiralee. Sally Cutter, where is it and what is it doing? Uh, ex-Kiralee is spinning around south-east of Mount Isa at the moment, not really going very far. The, we are expecting it to head back up or there's a good chance it will, will go north. Whether it goes north-northwest or north-northeast is crucial as far as the territory goes. We are seeing a little bit of activity just across the border in the south, southern or southeastern parts of the Barclay and northeastern parts of the Simpson. But if it takes that slightly more north-northwest track, it's going to start to bring sort of rainfall, heavy rainfall into the territory and hence we've got a flood watch out for sort of the catchments up against the Queensland border. Okay. I... I heard um, someone from a government department in the last 24 hours say that there's an 80% chance that this system will not come into the Northern Territory. Is that accurate? Uh, it's we can't, we can't rule it out. The, if you're looking at where we run, they run the models multiple times and if you look at the area where you've got an 80% chance that it will be. It does stick into the the territory, but it's down, right down one end of it. It could be a, could stay over Queensland. So we, mm. it's and it's just going to clip that far eastern part of the Carpentaria district. So if the majority of the NT is going to be pretty much right from it. It's just that real far eastern part that is. To, we can't rule it out because it's one of the better models that is suggesting that at the moment. Okay, understood. And hence there is a flood watch in place for parts of the Carpentaria coast and eastern inland NT catchments likely to be affected include Settlement Creek, Nicholson River, Georgina River and the Air Creek. Gee, you'd imagine 
in what, a month or so's time, there'll be those beautiful videos emerging of Lake Eyre filling up and pelicans galore? Oh, yeah. It's that catchment be getting some yeah. big rain. Oh, yeah. It, and it is certainly something that's well worth seeing. It's, it's absolutely stunning. You've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, on, on one flight coming across it, it, I was looking down and thought, I mean, upside down because it was the sky was beautifully reflected, and I thought, no, hang on, the camera's still on sitting on my lap. We have to be the right way up. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but it's uh, but so we did a flight. We just zigzagged down the Walton Groove and one of the stage conservation stations up there. Apparently, you could just see the water. Some more water was coming down. You could just see the water. And the, the first time I went up through there, we actually got rain at Maree as well. Goodness me, seeing Lake Air come alive and seeing waterfalls at Uluru, they'd have to be two of the the bucket list weather events, I would have thought. And I've ticked them both off. Ah. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Hey, uh, there's been some decent rainfall, maybe not at Uluru, but uh, other spots around the Territory in the last 24 hours. What are some of the best figures? Oh, yeah, there's some, been some pretty big falls, the, and the, it's still raining as well. So Central Plateau had 144 millimetres overnight. Owen Pally had 114. Then you get into Darwin, Thorax Cemetery, 81. East Arm, 70. Marara, 66. The new AWS at East Point, 65 millimetres. The airport had 64, along with Nightcliff Pool. Fort Hill Wharf, 61 millimetres. And if you go a little bit further, even Upper Catherine River had another 50 millimetres. Wagite Beach was basically 50. The Gawley had 40. The Wildlife Park, 31. Territory Wildlife Park, the owner station, 25. Noonamar, 25 as well. So it's been some pretty good been crossing 21. So the, it drops down a bit, but then if you look at what's fallen since 9am, we've had 60 millimetres at the Pines. Howley Creek's had 52. Upper Adelaide River, 39.2. Bachelor, 37.7 or 37.2. Mount Nankar, 33.5. The Howard Creek or Haywood Creek on Tipperary, 23 millimetres. So there's been, and these mm. are all since 9 o'clock, so there's some more... Pretty good rainfall out Just there. Just looking at the radar, there's a big blob on oh, yeah. the northwestern part of the top end, stretching really from Pine Creek across to Wadair, and then yep. all that sort of coastal country pouring down at Dundee. Darwin's still yeah. getting a drop of five. So, yeah, anything else that we need to be aware of before you go, Sally? No, just be aware that we do. We are expecting the Daly River to drop, but to probably won't get down below moderate until the... Wednesday night, Thursday, but depends on how much more water we dump up in the catchment as to how quickly that does actually decrease. But in general, the things are going well. The Victoria River is going down. Just mm. just keep an ear out for any of the warnings we do put out regarding the flooding and maybe the winds in the Gulf. Depends yeah. what Curley does. Yes. Okay. Thank you for your time, Sally. That's okay. Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. It is thirteen. Past one, and you are tuned into the country hour. Let's head over to Western Queensland now. A lot of areas getting drenched by ex tropical cyclone Kiralee at Malvi Downs, which is to the southwest of Julia Creek. Tony Bat says the 100 millimetres that they've received at the homestead over three days has just been perfect, but it's the heavier falls upstream. That's causing a few problems. He says the three rivers that are on his place 
have become one, making it the biggest flood event that he's ever seen on the place. We've been here since 87. It's, um, it's our highest. The previous high was 19, but it's the, the post we've got coming up the road to the house, it's gone up, I don't know, 50 metres along the road. Like, not, a, not a steep climb, but you'd probably put it down to half a metre on top of that. So there's more water now than there was in 2019. Yeah, definitely. Because we, uh, this the actual rain here was near perfect. We had 100 mil over the three days, but the three to 600 mil all in the Gilead catchment is certainly certainly covered for that. The the, the, the no big stuff here. And things look like they're settling down a bit now. I see there's blue skies in McKinlay this morning. So now that there's not so much rain around, what does that mean for those obviously very swollen river and creek systems that are moving through the northwest? Well, I'd imagine that that drop fairly quickly because the, I mean that that big mad rain area wasn't a big area really. Uh, particularly, it sort of straddled the Lake Eyre. Gulf system, like at Kainuna and McKinley, that's nearly the divide between the two. So all the mad rain on the south of there is going to Lake Eyre and all the mad stuff's coming this way back to the Gulf. And and in the Flinders system, it probably only, I don't know, 70 or 80K would would be, I would have thought would be a maximum. So it's 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 a massive amount but not a massive area. And so a lot of people have been, you know, getting up in choppers and, and putting up the drones and you were up this morning having a bit of a look to assess the flooding and, and if there was any damage. So what did you see when you are up there this morning? I think the fencing's going to be a bit ugly. We've seen new stuff last couple of years put up that's going to have to go back to scratch again, but we're pretty confident and happy with the cattle side of it. We didn't see a lot of problems there. So you don't anticipate any big losses? No, no, we'll... I wouldn't be game to say we've had none, but it'll be it'll be slight compared to the seventy five percent in nineteen. Yeah, yeah, and and that was and still is a bit of a concern with all this flooding around. That because the water was so high, we would see big losses similar to twenty nineteen. But how do you think this situation has differed to what we saw back then? Uh, shorter in time and probably. 25 degrees difference in temperature. That temperature thing was the killer where they it just rained solidly for days and 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 cattle just gave up. You know, starting on about the third day, they were they were finished. They couldn't handle it anymore. That that's really what they didn't floods didn't kill them here. They perished in the cold. That is Tony Bat at Malvi Downs speaking to Madeline McCosker about all that rain that's falling in the outback of Queensland. Right across the territory on the ABC, you are tuned into the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Now, earlier this month, Core Lithium announced that it would stop mining at its Finnis site outside of Darwin following the continued downturn in global lithium prices. And it's not the only miner doing it tough at the moment. Yesterday, the operator of Australia's largest lithium mine, the Greenbushes Project in WA, it said it would reduce its output this year by about 100,000 tonnes. Late last week, the Federal Resources Minister, Madeline King, met with lithium and nickel producers to discuss the challenges to this sector. Association 
of mining and exploration companies, Neil Van Druen, says the lithium sector is facing a lot of challenges. Australian lithium mining sector is part of the, the global economy and at the moment there's a suppressed lithium price. So I think everyone, all of your listeners would be aware that commodity cycles go up and down and at the moment we're in, we're in a bit of a downturn. So we are, all, all miners are working towards um, conserving their assets so that they can get the most bang for buck when the prices are higher. Are there going to be other lithium miners who might stop or slow down their operations? Well, that's a commercial consideration for each of the lithium miners. I hope not. Um, we had a roundtable on Thursday with Minister King, and that was a focus of the conversation, was preserving jobs, because we know that a variety of, or well, there's a, a number of like families that rely on these mines um, for employment and opportunities. What was discussed at that roundtable about how to solve yeah. the, the situation? Yeah, good question. So the, the on Thursday, Minister King drew together um, 30 of the nickel miners and then also 30 um, lithium uh, miners and explorers from around Australia um, in Perth um, for a, a two-hour discussion. The conversation focused primarily on jobs and also on securing Australia's um, lithium mining into the future so that we can go further downstream. Are there measures that the government can put in place that would help the sector? Oh, definitely. So there's the, let's start with the unsexy stuff. The unsexy stuff is approvals reform. Um, they could find ways of cutting approvals time and uh, making Australia and our regulatory environment more efficient. So there, that's the unsexy stuff. The more some, an idea that we've been talking about with the Commonwealth Treasury, the, the Minister, and have um, put in for the Commonwealth budget that's coming up in May is something called a production tax credit. And what is that? What is a production tax credit? So a tax credit um, incentivises companies to go further downstream and um, will give them some money that will go towards their tax bill so that they go and produce battery chemicals from their given mineral. So for lithium, it's going down the value chain to lithium hydroxide, lithium salts. Um, for nickel, it's there's a whole range of other nickel products, for example. So if we were to go and lock a incentive like that in into Australia, it would um, incentivise companies to keep the rocks onshore and... Do, do more with them. And why should regular Australian taxpayers be giving a, a tax break to a private mining company? Well, it's a good question. The, this is an idea that we've taken directly from the Inflation Reduction Act um, in America, which is acting as a magnet drawing, processing, and um, that downstream activity that Australia really wants um, to the US. Why do we want it in Australia? Because if you have these sort of tax incentives, you encourage um, the technical high-end jobs to be located in Australia and like in the territory would be at a middle arm to go and do that sort of processing, which leads to a whole range of other opportunities because you start building up an industrial ecosystem. So it's one of those 
yeah, this is one of those things that has to be done to go and keep Australia competitive. Do the issues with the lithium sector, are they just coming back to market forces? There's just too much supply and not enough demand right now? Certainly. There's been a lot of commentary around the increase in supply. Australia's brought a lot of um, lithium into the market, but the long-term fundamentals, I don't know about you, but um, everyone or every everything in my house now seems to have a battery in it and batteries are lithium and nickel, so there's only going to be more batteries. Do you think the lithium price will recover? Uh, well, I don't know if I could answer that question. I'd be, a, I'd be a, a rich man, but I think in the long term, the fundamentals are really strong. So it probably should, but that depends on a, a whole range of things. It's Neil Van Drunen, who's from the Association of Mining and Exploration Companies, speaking to Dan Fitzgerald. And following the meeting between the critical minerals sector and the resources minister, Madeline King, and the minister's put out a statement which says that she had resolved to accelerate discussions within government on incentivising investment, for example, through the taxation system. In some other resources news, the company that is looking to start a copper mine to the northwest of Alice Springs is on the lookout for a new chief executive. KGL Resources has announced today that its chief executive, who had only been in the role since September last year, has resigned effective immediately. So Nick Spencer is out. And in a statement, the company says that the board will resume its executive search for a chief executive and work will continue with completing the optimised feasibility study and the current drilling program. As we go to air this afternoon... Shares in KGL are down by 3.2%. It's time now on the Country Hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Roma, here's David Friend. With a reduced yarding due to the inclement weather, Roma agents yarded 2,943 head. All the regular process of fertiliser background is present and active, with the market firm to slightly dearer on last week. At the time of this interim report, lightweight yielding steers under 200 kilos reached the 500 cents a kilo mark, with the 200 to 280 kilos firm on last week's sale selling to 477. Yielding steers 280 to 330 kilos held firm selling from 294 to 420, 470, with the two yielding steers 330 to 400 kilos all sold well to 432. Yielding steers 400 to 480 kilos to feed sold to 399. Growing steers 500 to 600 kilos sold to 340. And over 600 kilos selling to 314. Lightweight bulls under 450 kilos sold to 396 with the heavy bulls to 316. This has been David Friend for the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you, David. Now, just quickly, a couple of years ago, Traditional owners in the Arid Lands Environment Centre launched a legal challenge to Singleton Station's 40,000 megalitre groundwater extraction licence, arguing that the Territory's Minister for Environment's initial decision to issue that licence was legally unreasonable because it did not follow the Water Act. Well, guess what? This case, which has been before the NT Supreme Court for the last 16 months, a decision will be handed down tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Singleton Station. What will happen? We'll bring you all of the results of that decision on tomorrow's Country Hour. Speak to you then. Keep it rural.